Welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast, where we explore the spirituality of the Christian child through the method of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I am your host, Carrie Mecki Lozano. Happy Advent, friends. Today, we are going to listen to the words of Sophia Cavalletti from her book, The History of the Kingdom of God, from Creation to Parousia, Part 1, that specifically have to do with this season that we have found ourselves in. So I'm going to be reading from chapter 41, called The Incarnation, as well as chapter 43 on the Annunciation, which is really perfect since we have the Feast of the Immaculate Conception this Friday. I hope you enjoy. Chapter 41, Incarnation. We have spoken of the history of salvation as a gradual and progressive incarnation of God, an increasing manifestation of God through the perceivable. With the incarnation, history reaches a climax in which God makes himself visible through the sacred humanity of the Son. Rooted in the past, yet absolutely new. At the moment of the Incarnation, God's intention, God's mysterion, which had gradually been revealed in his servants, the prophets, is now realized in the person of Jesus. Since its beginning, creation was waiting for the presence of the creature in whom God's image would be fully embodied. The unfolding history was waiting for God himself to be embodied in the person of Christ, restoring through him that order which Adam had spoiled. The event of the incarnation was always present in the mind of God and was therefore anticipated from the beginning of the world. Nevertheless, it comes as something entirely new. If the entire history of salvation is the history of God's intervention in the history of human beings, then never until the Incarnation did God intervene in such a direct way. If the whole history of salvation is the story of God's manifestation to people, never did God manifest himself so fully that whoever saw the human person of Christ could say, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. The news of the Incarnation is so great that it is not easily grasped. With this in mind, it can be helpful to contemplate it in the light of other news that had preceded it, but that was in no way equal to it. Still, this work of comparison can aid our understanding. The Incarnation in Relation to the Creation of Adam Appearing at the end of the work of creation, Adam represents a totally new creature as compared to the creatures that preceded him. The Bible points this out in many ways. At last, there is a being whose eyes are open and capable of receiving images of God's creative work with an intelligent mind and a discerning heart, a being capable of recognizing God through these images and communicating with him. 
For the first time ever, a creature is given the task of cultivating and maintaining what God had created, of advancing the creative work of God, simultaneously imprinting creation with the mark of the creature made in God's image. Everything is new in Adam, yet everything will be new in a particular and incomparable way in the new Adam. Sacred history, which opens with the creation of Adam and is charged with marvelous hopes, nearly collapses in the same moment it is begun because of humankind's failure to cooperate in the divine plan. However, the working of God's mercy immediately gives an inkling that history will resume its course and reach its goal, even if the journey will be laborious and the pathway altered. A fundamental stage of this journey is the choice of Israel. It is another moment when everything breathes the new. The Incarnation and the Election of Israel A tremor of expectation and hope begins to move through history when among all the peoples in the world, God chooses one to be his firstborn. Exodus chapter 4 verse 22 All the peoples of the world can know God through the contemplation of the work of creation, but Israel has a particular relationship with God. Israel knows God through the contemplation of the events of its own life, and it lives these events in a particular union with God. Israel does not need to look outside itself to know God. Instead, it knows God through a continuous dialogue with him. God, from whom Adam distanced himself in his rebellion, comes close to humankind anew and wants the history of this people to be God's own history in some way. Thus, everything is new in Israel, but its newness is incomparable with fulfillment in Christ. In Christ, for the first time, there appears a human being whom places all of his humanity at the complete service of divinity. In him, humanity is the docile and intelligent instrument of divinity in the highest possible manner. Of the many attempts of people throughout history to respond to the repeated and constant gift of God, the divine gift is finally met with the fullest and most worthy response possible from a human being. The Perfect Human Response to God The Son of Man is the greatest manifestation of the merciful and redeeming love of God, and along with the downward movement from heaven to earth. In the person of Jesus, there is also a movement from earth to heaven, a movement from the human heart of the Son upward to the Father. There has never been a more perfect or timely movement in the history of humankind. At long last, a new bond between God and humankind is established and would remain forever, a bond in which God does not dwell in the midst of people, but in the temple of his, Christ's, body, and through him, in people.
Just as in Adam, creation had a completely new creature, so in Christ, history has a completely new human being. Christ brings new life to the people. In fact, this extraordinary event is destined to be repeated and diffused because the new Adam, who is like the first Adam, but also different from him, is the founder the firstborn of a kingdom of new people. The incarnation is a great event for its own sake, but also because of its effect on the whole of humanity. From that moment onward, the gift of a new life in a different ontological relationship with God is offered through Christ. The person who is joined to Christ comes to share in the secrets of life within the Trinity through Christ's sacred humanity. A new life now flows through the spiritual veins of the human creature. This new life is God's life, transmitted through the humanity of the risen Christ. He permeates the entire cosmos. The Incarnation is such a great event that it cannot be confined to the world of humankind alone, but spreads out to enliven the whole cosmos. If the purpose of the Word becoming flesh was that all of humankind might become divine through it, then to this we must add that the divinization of the human being, inasmuch as it affects his body, somehow affects the whole cosmos. For the entire cosmos serves as the theater and backdrop for the human creature in its bodily existence. The descent of the divine into the body of the human beings implies and is, in some way, the transfiguration of the whole cosmos. Christ's body is the first fruit, not only of humankind, but all of creation. If a new blood enlivens the spiritual veins of Christians, it is also true that a new surge of life now moves the cosmos in its innermost recesses, because divinity has come to dwell in the body of a human being. And in the body of the human being, the whole of creation finds its crossroads and unification. Thus, the whole cosmos is involved in what happened in the body of Christ. And he awaits fulfillment. All of this has taken place in the human body of Christ in anticipation of all things being gathered up in him, the things in heaven and those on the earth in the fullness of time. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9. Chapter 43, The Annunciation Mary's Yes In the determining moment of salvation history, God once again seeks a human being to collaborate with him in the execution of the divine plan through a freely given assent to his will. This moment of history begins when Mary responds to the words of the angel, the messenger of God's greatest gift, by saying, Let it be with me according to your word. 
Luke chapter 1, verse 38. As with all the events of the history of salvation, this event springs from a gift of God and from the assent given to this gift by the creature. The Faith of Mary and the Faith of Abraham Let it be done with me according to your word is the continuation of a chain of positive responses to God's call, from Abraham to Moses, even though his response was given somewhat hesitantly, to David, who had stayed behind to tend the flock. Like Abraham, Mary believes in God as the source of life, the one who can cause life to spring forth in circumstances that are impossible from a human perspective. In this vein, Gardini says, The attitude of faith that is required of Mary is primarily the faith of the Old Testament, since what is in question, namely redemption, has yet to be fulfilled. To believe is to make oneself available for the realization of this event. Like Abraham, Mary believes in a promise which consists of of the gift of life under conditions that seem to be totally negative. The Divine Motherhood Once again, where the gift of God meets with faith and welcome on the part of the creature, life springs forth. Mary thus becomes a mother in the most extraordinary circumstances. She becomes the mother of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Her divine motherhood is, first of all, the totally transforming reception of the Holy Spirit into herself. This reception occurs through faith. Her motherhood has its true beginnings in a religious act of submission and openness to the gift of God, which precedes the biological phenomenon. Accordingly, St. Augustine notes, The same Blessed Virgin conceived believing in whom she delivered while believing. In fact, upon being promised a child and having asked how this could happen, she received the angel's reply, The Holy Spirit will descend upon you. When the angel said this, she, who was filled with faith, conceived Christ, first in her mind, then in her womb. Let it be done to me according to your word, she replies. Elsewhere, he adds, indeed, the maternal relationship would have been of no advantage to Mary had she not borne Jesus more happily in her heart than in her flesh. All these texts can be understood as a commentary on the words of Elizabeth. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Luke chapter 1, verse 45. Therefore, the angel's words herald an event that continues and carries forth the history of Israel, and yet is at the same time a completely new event. The very wording of the angel's announcement points to the continuity of this event regarding past history as well as to the newness that this event brings to the history. Prophetic Announcements and the Annunciation 
Throughout the history of Israel, when the prophets announce the coming of the Messiah, they usually deliver their message in a three-part structure. First, they invite the person or people to rejoice. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 14. Second, they go on to explain that the cause of joy is the presence of God. The Lord your God is in your midst. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17. Finally, they often add an invitation not to be afraid. Do not be afraid. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 16. See also Joel chapter 2 verse 21 and 22. In Luke's gospel chapter 1 verse 28, the angel greets Mary with the word kair, which has been rendered hail, greetings in English, but its true meaning is rejoice. Immediately afterwards, the angel adds, the Lord is with you. The third element of prophetic announcements lies in verse 30. Do not be afraid. Thus, the angel's words are meant as a continuation and a seal of the words the prophets used throughout the centuries to announce God's promise of salvation to Israel. That salvation is a child to whom will be given the name Jesus, the Savior. The Virgin Birth While the Incarnation is a continuation of the history preceding it, it is also a completely new event. As Karl Rahner has written, The birth of this son, through no human paternal intervention, and yet through a true reproductive process within a mother signifies that, with this event, a radically new point of departure is established in salvation history. The history of humankind encumbered by sin, does not continue, but is renewed in redemption. Tertullian has already written, Why did Jesus have to be born from a virgin? It was necessary that the one who brought the gift of new birth be born in a new way. The Immaculate Conception The birth of Christ from Mary represents something totally new in the reproduction of human beings for another and even more important reason. Jesus is born by a creature who was not affected by sin. Mary benefited from redemption more than any other creature. Mary's acceptance of Christ is an event of such radical importance that redemption acts upon her differently than on other creatures. It acts for her preservation. Because she was born free from original sin, Mary can offer a dwelling in her womb that is worthy of Christ. At the point of convergence between the Old and New Testaments, Mary bears in herself the one who, through his blood, will seal the new and eternal covenant. On the threshold of the new times, when a new humanity is about to come forth. Mary stands as its champion 
in her full reception of Christ into herself and in her offering of him as a gift to the world. It has been said that Mary is the first realization of the perfect Christian. If Christianity is, in its fullest form, the pure acceptance of the salvation of God who is one and three and is revealed in Jesus Christ, then Mary is the perfect Christian. She is the totally Christian human being because in her faith, her spirit, and in her womb, which is to say with her body and her soul and all the power of her being, she received and welcomed the eternal word of the Father. If to be a Christian means that one's own grace shines forth and reverberates in selfless service for the salvation of others, then Mary is the perfect example. With the ascent of her faith and in the physical concreteness of her divine motherhood, she received the one who is the salvation of all, Jesus Christ, the Lord. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast. If you would like to purchase a copy of The History of the Kingdom of God from Creation to Parousia, Part 1 by Sophia Cavaletti, the book that I just read two chapters from, I will have a link in the show notes for you to do that. Another book by Sophia Cavaletti, The Religious Potential of the Child, the third edition, will soon be available on Audible. We will let you know as soon as it is. We are hoping that it might make a great Christmas present for yourself or for a friend. We hope that you all are having a wonderful Advent season and have a very blessed Feast of the Immaculate Conception. This podcast is sponsored by the United States Association of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. We would like to thank all the contributing members because you are making this podcast possible. If you would like to know more about the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, or if you would like to become a member and get the perks of being a member and support our work as a member, please go to cgsusa.org. Thank you all for listening. We will see you in two weeks. Go and fall more deeply in love with God.